This is Professor August Howard. The following is a continuation in the series of statements from Daphne Howard, also known as the Diviner. This statement was gathered 17 days from the previous recording. <clears throat> For the third statement, she was asked to elaborate on her history with me early on in our marriage. For transparency's sake. It is public record that the Diviner and I have been married for 15 years, but we have known each other for longer, by virtue of our families befriending one another. I've also prompted the Diviner to expound upon more of her family history, as that has proven to be a piece of information that will be beneficial, should you find her uncooperative. I don't remember many concrete details, but I remember how this day started. It started with a nightmare. The sound of squeaking wheels, ringing out in the bustling gymnasium of the public school, converted into a secondary hospital in the most trying of times in the city. Too many were sick, and the hospital was overflowing. The low indistinct talking around me sounded like unnerving white noise punctuated by the wet sounds of fluid-filled lungs, coughing up that telltale pink froth. That was the worst part, aside from the terrible nosebleeds, and the malaise winding through my muscle and bone. I thought the constant ache in my head and in my body was suffering enough, but the addition of feeling so close to suffocation was terrifying. Someone's child cried. They wouldn't stop, a solitary wail hovering over the slow, inexorable death in single cots. I couldn't sleep. I was too hot. Then I was too cold. I sweat too much. And then not enough. I drifted in and out of consciousness, seeing the sunlight one second and the next, staring at night through the small windows above. I heard my father's voice faintly carrying over the noise. Mr. Kilgallen, I regret to inform you. He didn't make it. They're... they're both dead. What? What do you mean they're dead? They can't be gone. They can't be left with just... I was never sure how much time passed. It was as if days went by with every blink of my eyes. The mother would be there one minute and be gone the next, always crying. I couldn't tell why. I wondered, were my brothers okay? I knew deep down there was something wrong as I experienced these memories all over again. She sank in her chair, like the ship she died on. It's gonna blow! Evacuate! Evacuate! Perspective changed in a disorienting, feverish blur. I suddenly found myself at my mother's piano a few years later, Rachmaninoff on the music stand, 
I knew what this was. I saw the butler come in, his expression etched with sorrow. Yes, Daphne, there's been some bad news. sadness that we announced the death of River Baron Randolph Kilgallen and his wife Margaret, who died suddenly in a boiler explosion on their newest international ferry, the SS Empress. Reports say the boiler blew with such force it ripped the ship in halves, spewing burning coal everywhere. There were no survivors. The company board of directors will meet this Saturday to discuss the future of the company and what will remain of the ferry works only surviving in. Everyone was gone. I was much too young to bear this. But this nightmare it wouldn't stop. She got up to leave my sick bed as if she couldn't stand to see me like this. Her shoulders still shaking with horrible sobs. I remember reaching out to her, my pale sweaty hand passing through her as if she were a ghost. I grew ever more feverish. I could feel my heartbeat in my ears. I shouted for her, but my lungs rattled. I wanted her to stay. I wanted someone to stay. I vaulted up in bed, hair plastered to my head with sweat, breathing heavily. Leave. Don't. Don't. Daphne? His voice called from the far side of the room, hands halfway through tying his usual bow tie. He let the ends drop around his collar and quickly made his way across the bedroom to me, sitting down on the bed. It was only a nightmare. It wasn't real. Not anymore. I was home. This was before the Dunwich Estates had been built. The home he'd purchased back before we were married was more than enough at the time for the two of us. We can't have been married for more than a year or two at that point. Long enough to feel settled, but still short enough to feel new. I sank back down into the pillows. Just a bad dream, Augie. Hmm. You sound terrible. I felt him place a cold hand against my forehead. You have a fever. Do you feel sick? <coughs> I must be. Is there anything I can get you before I go? I thought for a moment, before uneasily reaching for his arm, my clammy hand against the sleeve of his crisp white dress shirt. He looked down at my arm, then at me and gently reached out to push the hair out of my forehead. Can I ask you to stay? I don't want to be alone with this. August set his hand on my shoulder and looked down at me, his eyes softer than they'd ever been. Let me make a telephone call and retrieve a few things, and I'll be right here. Like in my nightmare, it only felt like I'd blinked and morning turned to late afternoon. I felt the soothing warmth of sunbeams filtering in through the blinds, much better than the searing heat of the fever I'd had before. It must have broken. I came back to consciousness and found myself nestled close to August, my head leaning against his chest as he read a book. Upon the nightstand sat a vase from the kitchen, with fresh cut azaleas in it. 
probably from the garden, if I had to guess. The weight of his arm around me was the most comforting thing I had ever felt. In such a low and ailing state, that sort of safety was exactly what I needed. He held me tight enough to let me know that he was there, that I was protected, but not tightly enough to be crashing or suffocating. With such a reassuring presence beside me, not even the fever dreams could hurt me. So long as he was next to me, I knew I would be fine. Augie. Hmm? Oh, you're awake. H how are you feeling? I still feel like garbage. I wrapped an arm around him and pressed myself closer. But you being here with me makes it a lot better. I don't like being alone when I'm sick. Thank you for staying with me, August. I just hope I don't get you sick. Of course. It's the least I can do for you, Daphne. I'm glad I can make you feel better just by being here. And I've been a professor for a while. I don't get sick anymore. Is there anything else I can do, dear? I hate to see you so miserable and scared. Do I really look that miserable? You do. Though it's understandable, given how sick you were before, that illness was quite deadly. I remember Lydia panicking when she heard how ill you were then. We were lucky we didn't catch it, but our whole family was terribly worried for yours, and for good reason. They were too young. I know. And I'm sorry. Could you read to me? Hmm? You asked what else you could do. Could you read your book to me? Daphne, dear, it's a textbook. I just want to hear you say words, Augie. It doesn't matter what they are. <laughs> Even if the words are about the anthropology of religion? Sounds like something I know very little about. I can't guarantee I'll remember any of it, but... It doesn't matter what you read, it's just enough to hear your voice. That way I know for sure I'm not alone. He gave me the softest, saddest look he'd ever given me. I understand. I'm not leaving, Daphne. Not until you're better. You're the best, Augie. I love you. Lydia had been right about August as was expected from a sister who so dearly loved her brother. Underneath the cold and aloof exterior was a compassionate man, fraught with emotion and care for the people and things that were important to him. I was thankful I was one of those people. I didn't really expect our relationship to work at the beginning. I thought we were too different, that he was too analytical, too serious, too emotionless. A stark counterpoint to my more intuitive nature, never taking myself too seriously and wearing my emotions like fine silks. But it turned out better than I thought. An analytic mind could sometimes benefit from intuition and vice versa. After I really got to know him, I realized he was a good counterpart to me. We were two people that had our own passions and ambitions and shared them with each other. And it was fulfilling to be able to spend my life with someone as driven and stimulating as him. The most surprising thing about us, to me, was the revelation that he was just like me emotionally. Guarded until a kind heart could open us up. What Lydia had said 
about both of us needing someone to love, to care for, was accurate. We really were more alike than not in matters of the heart. I think we really did need each other in a weird way. I never envisioned myself married to a mild-mannered linguistics professor. But the fact of the matter is, he truly was where I felt the safest, even when I wasn't sick. But when I was sick, he stayed with me, every single time. And in those little moments of weakness and vulnerability, I felt so loved. It may seem like such a small thing, but having been so alone before, being the only one left, knowing that someone would stay, that someone cared, it meant so much to me. So... What are you reading about? Religion? Yes. With a focus on how people interact with it in the form of mythology, mythology and religion are often intertwined. Mythology can explain the origins of religious ritual, which then gives that ritual a touch of the divine. Rituals that arise from mythical events can lend even more importance to the original story. Though I'm not certain this is a text that I'll be using for lecture, I just found it interesting enough to peruse. Here, let me read you an excerpt. In many religious contexts, one can often find a woman who, vested in the divine, spills prophecy from frenzied lips. One such example being the Pythia. That's a great thing. Well, it seems like you do know a little bit about this. <clears throat> Before the prophetic words of the god Apollo were to ever become flesh, the divine vessel known as the Pythia prepared by cleansing herself, drinking from a spring where a naiad was said to exist, and undergoing a period of fasting. As the power of the divine filled her body, she trembled and shook, falling into a trance-like state. Upon her perch, the prophecy emerged, spilled from her lips like poetry. I finally started drifting back to sleep, slowly lulled to unconsciousness by his voice and the rumble in his chest. I was nearly asleep when he stopped reading, but I felt the arm around me hold me tighter. The hand that once held the book gently smoothed at my hair. I think he thought I was asleep already. But the last thing I remember from that day was him saying, I love you too, Daphne.